Thank you, choir, orchestra, and worship team for leading us this morning in that time of worship through song. It's good to uh, see you all this morning. I get in my feels this time of year. And as I sat in here this morning and I looked around as people came in and as we sang together, I'm reminded of just how deeply I love you and how thankful I am for you and how grateful I am to get to serve the Lord with you. For many of us, we've been doing life together for a long time now and serving the Lord together, and it is an incredible honor uh, to do that with you each day. And so thank you for your love and encouragement, and I want you to know that this guy and his family love you deeply. Let me share a couple things with you before we pray and dig into um, the word for today. Tonight, this afternoon, you do not want to miss our four o'clock service. It'll be a special time. We're going to uh, have a candlelight time. Now, let me just say something. Let me revert back a few years. A few years ago, we had a candlelight service in the old sanctuary. And I thought, after it was over with us, surely we can't be the only church in the entire world that can't hold our candles up because when we got through, we had more wax in that sanctuary than <laughs> people were going, oh, this is awesome, <clears throat> pouring it out. So we're going to try it again. <clears throat> Let's just keep those candles held up tonight. But, but it's going to be a very special time tonight as we just we, we sing together, we study the Word together. Uh, we, uh, we have that special time of candlelight as we sing together. I can't wait for that 4 o'clock service, so please be back tonight for that. Bring somebody with you. If you know people who don't know the Lord, bring them with you to that service tonight. And we're going to talk about the cry of confession. Got a short message tonight, the miracle of Christmas. Uh, the short message. <laughs> and, and I want to bring that to you tonight, just a real focused-in gospel word tonight and a call for people to confess Christ. And so please be back tonight for that. You know, it's hard to believe this year is, um, is gone, pretty much. And we're about to go into a new year. But as we do, I've been talking to us for several weeks now about picking up a reading plan to read the Bible this year and have a time with the Lord each day of prayer, a time that we study the Word together, uh, that you study the Word individually uh, with the Lord. And so having that time with the Lord each day is a transformational thing. You'll never grow in your walk with God until you begin to do that. And so I'm encouraging all of us to be a part of that. So just pick up a reading plan at the welcome desk. We'll start that the first of the year. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Also, ladies, you, you've seen the announcements. I want to encourage you just put this in your mind right now to sign up for the women's conference coming up. It's going to be a great time as, as you ladies gather. And Tara Dew will be here uh, to pour into to you ladies. And so it's just going to be a great time. So you do not want to miss that. Well, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4 and Revelation chapter 19. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and then Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to read both of these texts to you here in just a moment. We have been studying through a series. We've entitled it The Cries of Christmas. And this morning, we're going to talk about the cry at His coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 19. Now, after you found your place, I'm going to ask you to bow 
And let's ask the Lord to bless this time as we open his word and continue to worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a joy it is to be here today. And I ask you right now, Father, to give to me the clarity of mind and the clarity of speech that is needed to be able to communicate the Word of God. I desire, Lord, for Christians today to have just a fire in their hearts as they hear this truth. I pray they are encouraged and edified. I pray, Lord, we're also convicted if we need it. I pray, Lord, that you will use this message as a call to people who do not know Christ as their Savior to receive Jesus into their lives as Savior and Lord. I'm always reminded, Father, of how inadequate I am apart from you, and I need you. And so I pray that you will give me the ability to be able to preach this truth and to exalt you, Father, to exalt Christ. I'm asking you to do a work now, and I'm dependent upon you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've already discussed in this series that we do not start looking at why we celebrate Christmas with the uh, angel's message to Mary that she's going to uh, have a child. We do not start with that dream that Joseph had where an angel told him he needed to listen to what Mary said and to go ahead and marry her. We do not start when we begin to look at the meaning of Christmas with the stable in Bethlehem or that manger. We do not start with the joyous birth of a Savior and King. We start with the sorrow and suffering and death of sin caused by the rebellion of the head of the human race, Adam. We start with an early prophecy that was given also there in that same context in Genesis chapter 3 that there would be one born of woman who would come and he would destroy Satan. He would destroy his work. Now, the work of Satan was to deceive the first human beings so that they sinned and alienated them from God, which in fact alienated the human race from God. And God must be the one who delivers the human race and reconciles them to himself. And we have this prophecy early on in Genesis chapter 3 that that is going to happen. There would be one that would descend from Eve that would crush Satan's head, that would undo the work of the enemy and reconcile those who believe in him back to God and give to them eternal life. And so we've talked about at the beginning of this series, the cry of the curse how all of creation groans to be renewed, how human beings groan to be reconciled to God. We don't know many times what we're really missing in life. There are people all around us, and they are oftentimes empty inside. There's something missing within them. Uh, they understand that there's something lacking in their completeness. They try everything the world has to offer. They try relationships. They try careers. They try to identify themselves with those things and other things. They try possessions and pleasures, and none of those things ever seem to fill that void, and it's because we were made for God. And we will never be whole, we will never be complete until we're in a relationship with Him. And there was one who came to allow that to take place. And people groan, they cry out to be redeemed. We've talked about the cry from the cradle, 
The one who would crush Satan's head entered into the human experience. God himself became man to dwell among us. That's what the birth of Christ is all about. And so we talked about the cry from the cradle and we talked about the cry from the cross. It is finished. It speaks of the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ to reconcile people who believe in him to God. And so we dealt with that. And today, as we remember last week that after we talked about the cry from the cross, we also talked about his resurrection, Christ's resurrection and his 40 days of appearances to people before he ascended back to heaven with the promise that he would come again. There were over 500 people who saw him alive that were so radically impacted by seeing the resurrected Christ that they were willing to suffer, be imprisoned, and die horrible deaths to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people because they knew this message is real. They knew how he changed them, and they saw him alive and well. He ascended back to heaven with that promise of his return. And all that needs to be done to save people and to reverse the curse, so to speak, has been accomplished. But the full completeness of our salvation and the full completeness of Satan's absolute destruction and the full completeness of the reverse of the curse will come after the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And that's why I'm speaking today on the subject, the cry at his coming. So look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, and then we'll go over and read Revelation chapter 19. So here's the word of God. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now look with me in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King 
of kings and Lord of lords. The main idea of this message this morning is that when Christ returns, we are going to be changed to be like Him. Satan's absolute defeat will become clear. The curse of sin will be removed. And Christ will reign eternally. Now, there are five things I want us to see about the coming of Christ. Let me just give them to you real quickly, and then I'm going to say a few things, and then we're going to dig into these five things. First, the coming of Christ is a motivation for obedience. The coming of Christ is a consolation for us. It's a comfort. The coming of Christ will result in our resurrection and transformation. At the coming of Christ, we will experience vindication. And then finally, at His coming, there will be a final inauguration of His eternal kingdom. Now, let me say to you before I dig into these truths that there are a few ways in which Bible-believing Christians look at the last things or eschatology or the coming of Christ. Uh, there are very deeply godly people who have differing views about how Christ will come and if He will come in stages or is it all at one time? Is the millennium literal or is it, is it uh, symbolic? And, and so there are really strong Bible-believing Christians who have differing views. There are people in our congregation who have differing viewpoints of that. Uh, most probably uh, adhere to my viewpoint of this and uh, my pr uh, premillennial outlook on this. Some do not. Uh, these are things that we can agree to disagree on and continue to serve the Lord together and preach the gospel together as long as we all come to this conclusion that Jesus is coming. He's coming. And with His coming, there will be resurrection. There will be judgment of the wicked. And there will be a new heaven and new earth. You cannot compromise with these because these are so clear even people from Georgia like myself can understand those things. But I'm going to teach today from my viewpoint. So if you have a little differing viewpoint than I do, that's okay. Just pray the Holy Spirit helps you interpret it through your viewpoint <laughs> or He helps you to see the light, <laughs> whichever, whichever one. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I pray we get this. Jesus Christ is coming. What a comfort that is. What rejoicing that is. What motivation that is. What hope that is that Jesus Christ is coming. Now, in my viewpoint, I have this belief that the second coming of Christ will be in two stages. I believe that He will first come for His church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, I believe, is the text there that would uh, describe that event. And then I believe that He will come also at the end of a period of time 
and a very visible return to earth so that all, see, all will see him and he will reign. And so I, I believe that's what Revelation chapter 19 is describing, where he destroys his enemies. Now, whether you're pre-mill, all-mill, all pan-mill, which means they just think it's all going to pan out in the end, whatever you are, this day and time, we're afraid sometimes to talk about the coming of the Lord because we think people are going to think we're weird. Well, let me just tell you something. If we're uh, following Jesus, we're going to be weird to the world. <laughs> just, some of you are weird anyway, but I mean, it's, it, we're going to be weird to the world, right? Uh, and, and so if God is God, can he not do what he's said he's going to do? Can he not split the sky and return? Can he not raise the dead? If he is God, what can he not do? His arm is not too short. It's not too hard for him. Those who have that kind of viewpoint, and they're, they're too afraid to say those things, sometimes I wonder if they have not created for themselves their own God that kind of matches up what they think everybody else is going to believe about him. What we have to believe about God is what he's revealed to us in his special revelation. That's what must be believed about God. And so I'm going to talk today about the coming of the Lord. Now, I believe the Lord is going to come for his church, and no matter what viewpoint a person is, you've got to believe that because the Word of God says so. We often refer to that event as the rapture. That's taken from a Latin word that translated the Greek word harpazo found in chapter 4, verse 17. That Greek word harpazo means to snatch away to catch away, even sometimes violently. It's a, it's a quick removal is what that term means. The New Testament taught early believers to live as though the Lord could come during their lifetime. They were to be living with this idea that the Lord could come at any moment. Several places in Scripture, in Philippians, Colossians, James, Revelation, Titus, that, that speak of this. So you, you have this imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's what we should be looking for today. That's what we should be hoping for and longing for as the people of the Lord. It could, I believe, happen today or next week or 10 years from now. We, we're to live with a sense of imminency that He is coming. Every generation of Christians is taught to live that way. And there are purposes for that. And what we know is it is certain that Jesus Christ will return. 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament speak of the Lord's second coming. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament either is a direct reference to His coming or describes some of the events around parts of His coming. For every prophecy of His first coming, there are eight of His second coming. Those prophecies of his first coming, I might tell you, were fulfilled very literally. So too will those of his second coming. We are anticipating his coming. Now, let me give you these five things about his coming. First of all, his coming provides motivation for obedience. Motivation uh, as we obey him and await his coming. We're facing all kinds of pressures in this world. We face temptations. We face 
persecutions and opposition, the people of God are called to be faithful in the middle of them all. The fact is, our Lord could come at any moment, and that's a motivation for us to stay faithful to Him. I encourage you, my brothers and sisters, today, do not give in to temptation. Don't, don't give up. Don't be distracted by the world. Don't uh, walk into complacency and be allured away by the things of this world. The Lord Jesus taught us while He was on this earth during His earthly ministry, a couple of major parables, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, the parable of the faithful and unfaithful servant, and then the parable of the talents. And those, those parables were teaching to be faithful as you await the arrival, the coming of the Lord. Don't let it catch you off guard. Don't grow complacent and unfaithful, but, but make the most of your time here so that you're not ashamed at His coming. Put Him first. Serve Him. Obey Him. And that's what we are called to do. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, the Word of God says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless Deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. We're to be living a certain way with an anticipation that the Lord Jesus Christ could come. It's a motivation for the people of God. Every day when we're faced with pressures of the world, we're faced with attacks of the enemy, we're faced with persecution. We're faced with the allurements and temptations of the world to pull us into a life of complacency and focus on our own desires and not our Lord. We need to remember that Jesus Christ could come today. We need to set our mind on that, set our hearts on that. It's a motivation. But a second thing about His coming is that it provides consolation in difficult days. It provides a consolation. See, today we're facing major changes in our country. We're exchanging the truth of God for a lie, as Romans chapter 1 and verse 25 speaks of. What was once considered right is now considered wrong. What was once considered wrong is now considered right. Opposition against God's truth has grown significantly. In the last decade, we've seen a massive cultural shift away from Christian-based values and morals that the church of Jesus Christ has held to for 2,000 years. Christians have struggled with this. Churches have abandoned scriptural authority, and we interpret Scripture in ways that, that, that supports the viewpoints of the culture so that we can kind of fit in with them. Christians have become cowards. The Word of God tells us that the righteous are as bold as a lion. But many Christian leaders today and many Christians themselves today have become as fearful as a feral cat. That's a far cry from a lion. And so many want to fit in with the culture more than to conform with Christ. And I'm telling you, our culture does not need us to conform to it. 
Our culture, if they have any hope at all, it will be when the church of Jesus Christ conforms to Christ, stays faithful to him, and preaches the gospel of hope to them. It's the only hope. We must be courageous and compassionate. We must hold to the truth of God and grace. We also must be able to uh, face trials, heartaches, tribulations and sorrows in this world we're in with the hope that Jesus Christ is coming someday. And maybe you're dealing with some of those right now. Maybe you're dealing with sickness. Maybe you're dealing with, with burdens and problems and loss, death. And, and maybe there's a great level of sorrow in your heart this morning. Here's a, here's a great consolation. One day and maybe soon, Jesus Christ is coming for his people. And we're all going to be with him, and we're all going to be together. What a great reunion that will be. What a great time of rejoicing that will be when the people of God are together. The fact that he's coming is a comfort. The fact that he's coming is a comfort that helps us to stay faithful and stay obedient to him even when we're being attacked around us. The Word of God says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Our Lord is coming. And what a consolation that is. A third thing we see about His coming is that it results in our resurrection. One of the four main passages of, of today is, is a comfort to the church at Thessalonica, and I believe he's describing this event where he's coming for his people, and there's going to be a resurrection that occurs when that takes place. The Apostle Paul is writing very pastorally to the church at Thessalonica, and he, while he was there and established that church, he taught them about his return for his people. He talked about the resurrection, and he also revealed to them a mystery. A mystery is obviously something that was not uh, before revealed. And what the mystery is, is there's going to also be some who are alive when he comes and will not experience death, but will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, 1 Thessalonians speaks of this. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he told the Corinthian church, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. He speaks of this transformation. So he, he told them about that while they were, while he was there with them. And apparently, they were expecting the Lord to return in their lifetime, as every generation of Christians has since then. We're supposed to be expecting that. But here's something that happened. Some of their brothers and sisters in the church died. And so they were concerned about what's going to happen to them. Are they going to miss the coming of the Lord? Is that what's going to take place or, or, or what? And so Paul writes to them. That's certainly what's implied here. He's writing back to them to encourage them, saying, no, they're not, they're not going to miss it. They're going to be a part of it. Matter of fact, they're going to precede those who are alive when the Lord does return for his people. So we should be looking forward to that event. We should be looking forward to that. And one day, 
Our salvation will be completed when Jesus returns for us and we either are transformed immediately or our bodies are resurrected and our souls are reunited with those bodies and we're given a resurrection spiritual body, one like the Lord's, to live out in the eternal kingdom forever. We'll no longer be under the curse of sin. That is completely reversed at that transformation that will take place at the resurrection. Y'all with me? Let me say some things about this passage. First, I want you to see that when Christians die, we continue to live with the Lord. When we die, the part of us that makes us who we are leaves the body to go be with the Lord. Verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about when the Lord comes, He's going to bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus, meaning that they're with Him right now. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We are confident, yes, well, pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So when we die... The part of us that makes us who we are departs to be with Christ. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, that it's better to depart and be with Christ. That word depart there means it was used of armies that would strike camp and head home. And so he's describing how the people of God leave this earth and they arrive immediately in the presence of the Lord. Death is referred to as sleep here in this context. And now, why is that? Because it's not permanent for us. There's coming a day when a resurrection will occur. Sleep is not permanent. You go to sleep and you wake up. Sleep is not a fearful thing. We oftentimes look forward to it. Some of y'all are longing for it even this moment. <laughs> but when we die, we go immediately to be in the presence of the Lord. Now also we see here in this passage that this coming is imminent. Notice in verse, here in chapter 4, um, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. There's, this indicates a quickness, a, a, an imminency. As I've said to you before, uh, throughout Scripture we find uh, this imminent expectancy of the Lord's return. And so suddenly, while everybody is carrying out their business, they're doing whatever, they're doing life, some are at work, some are driving, some are, you know, on the golf course, some are at home, they're involved in different activities, some at the doctor's office, and then suddenly the Lord comes for His people and takes us away. It's an imminent event. Third, a resurrection occurs. A resurrection and transformation will occur. The Bible tells us here, as Jody read a moment ago, that, that uh, there's going to be a, a, the, the Lord descending from heaven with a shout. That word means a cry. That's where we get the cry that is coming. There's a voice of an archangel. There's a trumpet of God. It's hard to know exactly what these things mean specifically, but here's what I think is being emphasized. No one who knows the Lord is going to miss this. There's a cry, there is a voice, there is a trumpet. The dead and the living will not miss this event. My great-grandfather, that's my maternal grandmother's daddy, 
I've told you about him before. He was the one who felt the call of God upon his life to be a preacher of the gospel and did not do that. And he regretted it late in life, and he prayed for one of his descendants to answer the call of God. And when my mother told her Aunt Jewel, the baby sister of the bunch, about my call to ministry, my Aunt, my Aunt Hazel, I said Jewel, my Aunt Hazel wept because she knew what her daddy had prayed. Well, my great-grandfather would walk outside and he would look up in the air often and meditate, thinking about what it would be like at the return of the Lord. It's something we ought to think about. But let me tell you what the, the fact that it's an imminent coming will do for the Christian, not cause you to sell everything you have and go wait on a mountaintop somewhere, but be so busy with the work of the Lord that you don't let the world or your own human desires distract you. You stay focused on Christ. One day graves will be emptied and the sky and the spiritual realm will be filled as the Lord Jesus Christ comes for His people. I often think of this when I visit um, cemeteries, graveyards. I, 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 um, when I'm there where a lot of my family's buried, generations buried, back in my home county of North Georgia, I think sometimes what it will be like as the old-timers used to say on the great getting-up day. Sometimes I get sick of death. Sometimes I was just so mad at death. It's a result of human sin. It's the consequence for the curse. And sometimes when it's hitting close in and in the church, you just get so angry at death, and then you remember what the Savior's done. You remember that death is defeated, and a resurrection is in store for the people of God and a great reunion that is coming someday. And there is going to be a reunion. That's another thing I want to talk to you about from this passage. The Bible says here in verse 17 that we're caught up together and we will always be with the Lord. The family of God made perfect. Our fellowship, perfect. No longer will we hurt one another. No longer will we be so selfish that we take offense to everything. We will be a people in perfect fellowship. We will not be tempted to sin any longer. We will, we will love one another. We will rejoice with one another, and we will, with one another, worship our Lord and serve Him throughout eternity. The Word of God says we're caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Now, where do we go from there? Well, that's where we differ sometimes. Some believe we turn right around and come right back down to earth. And then we reign with Christ through the, His millennial reign. Uh, others believe that we, there is no literal millennium and we just kind of get on up there. Here, here's what I believe. I, I do believe in a literal millennial reign. But I believe that one day when He catches us up like that, we meet Him in the air, it's not to come back down to earth. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Well, he's talking about heaven in that context. He's gone to prepare a place for them there in in heaven. And so that context would lead us to believe that when he comes for us, He's taking us back to be with Him. And there'll be that time period that is prophetically predicted of great tribulation that pours out on the earth in that time. We find that in Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18. We're with the Lord during that time, I believe. The fifth thing is this is a comfort. Verse 18 says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Is it a comfort to you today to know that Jesus is coming back for you as a child of God and you're going to have a resurrection, transformed spiritual body like His forever? That's a comfort to me. Things change here on this earth just like that. You ever notice that? The older you get, the more you realize that. Some of you know more about that than I do. You've seen a whole lot more change in your life than I have. I've seen enough to know that once you think everything is just like you want it to be, things can change in an instant in your life. And we never seem to be at peace here on this earth, and we can be despite our circumstances when we know Christ. But the reason we never find fulfillment here is because we were not made for this place, but a whole nother place. A fourth overall thing, I'm about done here, coming in for a landing. We've talked about the fact that His coming is motivation for obedience. It is, it is consolation for us. It's going to lead to transformation, resurrection. But also, we're going to receive vindication. And when He takes us to be with Him and He delivers His wrath on a sinful and rebellious world, here's what's going to happen. All will know that we were right. There are people today who scoff at us. They mock us. They can't understand why we don't live like they do. And they reject and make fun of our beliefs. And even though they see the evidence of the great power of the gospel in our lives, they still mock. One day, they're going to realize how wrong they were. There's a lot of talk today about being on the right side of history. I'll tell you how you're on the right side of history. You be right with God. Then you're on the right side of history. There's vindication. World rulers, the evil and wicked, are going to be defeated when the Lord returns. And I believe He will rule for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, one last rebellion will occur. And then He's going to inaugurate His new kingdom. Jesus will do what Adam could not do, and he will have dominion over the earth. And we will reign with him. He came the first time to be our suffering Savior. He's coming again, glorious warrior. First time he wore a crown of thorns on a cross. When he comes again, the scripture we read in Revelation 19 says he has many crowns or many diadems. 
the crown of a ruler. And there will be, number five here, a final inauguration. He will create a new heaven and new earth. This, this earth one day is going to pass away. Second Peter chapter 3 talks about that. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 through chapter 21 speaks of a new heaven and new earth. This is going to pass away. There's a re new creation of a new heaven, new earth. The city of God now joins the new earth and we will be with him forever in that eternal state. Some say that's a lot to believe in the day in which we live in. Well, that's what the Word of God reveals. So I'm telling you, I believe it. I serve a big God. And those are things that bring deep comfort in my life, knowing what's going to occur someday. His cry at Bethlehem tore the silence. His cry from the cross, it is finished, tore the veil in the temple and provided access to God through Jesus. And one of these days, and maybe soon, his cry will tear open the skies, and he will come for his people. Hallelujah be to God. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Come. This hope fuels our joy. This hope motivates our obedience. This hope convicts us of our complacency to start serving Him as top priority of our life and witness to others. Are we doing that, my brothers and sisters? Is our lives where they need to be right now if He were to come? The well, good thing is now you've got a chance to change things and begin to put Him where He belongs, number one. For some in this room today, you don't know the Lord. You might be religious. You might be a church member here or somewhere else. You've got a lot of religiosity, but you don't have redemption. You've never truly been saved. But today, the Spirit of God has opened your heart, and you understand it maybe like never before. And you can tell God's doing something in your life because, man, your heart never beats so fast. <laughs> And right now, as we have this time of reflection here in a moment, I'd, I'd ask you either to meet me down front and we'll help you or you right where you are say, Lord, I believe what he's just said and I believe I'm a sinner and I need Jesus and I believe Jesus did what's necessary to take my sin away and I'm confessing him as my Lord and Savior. I'm turning away from sin and surrendering to you as Lord. Will you do that? We're about to partake of the Lord's Supper at the close of our invitation time, so I'm going to ask us just to bow our heads right now. If someone needs to respond to me up front and, and, and let me pray with you about receiving Christ, or maybe you want to come to this altar and get some things right with God, as you've been reminded, needs to happen in your life, let me encourage you to do that. Rachel is going to play during this time, and let's reflect, let's get things right with the Lord. Let's worship Him and praise Him. And then after that, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. Father, I pray you'll bless this time as we are in a, in a moment, an attitude of prayer right now. I pray, Lord God, that you will work in us, save, sanctify, edify, encourage, minister, Lord, in a powerful way. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.